that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Ciao Paisani and welcome back to the Italian American Podcast I'm John Viola with the notorious P.O.B. Patrick O'Boyle and the one and only Miss Rosella Rago. We are reuniting on a beautiful summer day. It is June. So we picked to be inside our basements recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So Let's we're... not do this in January. <laughs> yeah, well. One day we're going to be in a gorgeous, beautiful studio overlooking the corner of Mulberry and Brands. Yes, yes. And of course, that'll be a gray February day as it's on the schedule now because... Uh, my lips to God's ears. I hope this is the case, but it looks like we'll be open at the beginning of February. I've invited people to come and cook. Good. Yeah. I mean, you should be very happy. That means Pat's like warming up to this. Yes, Pat is warming up to this. The, the more, the better. Because I can think if I can go, if we can all cook in the window. Patrick, Titina should come and cook in the window. We should hire yeah, Absolutely. She'll be she'll be selling grafa out the door. <laughs> you know that, right? She like has a graf. She'd be selling grafa. We'd be frying them. I should do like a cutout in the window, like they used to have in the old pizzerias. You know, where you could just like open the t- you know, like the old pizzerias and bakeries. We know everybody that we would have in a full Italian food experience, like a tavola calda. I could have a butcher. I could have Ralphie Tai as a butcher to Tina Frying. We really could do good with this. Yeah. Why don't we just? I would love to take over. I mean, and I sick. You got to give me credit. I've come around to this. You sure have. Because now I feel it's missionary work. It is. It's exactly. Everybody out there, I got to tell you the truth. I'm shocked we were all still talking because we had an hour and a half pre-podcast podcast. Yeah, we did. That we can't publish. But if we did, it would be the best of all time. <laughs> well, we're catching up. The stuff we say about people amongst ourselves. Let's just hope the FBI doesn't have a tap on this. But they're really great. <laughs> it's none of you. You're not the problem. We have problems. There's nobody listening to this podcast. No, it's not the people listening for sure. But, you know, it's a it's a catch up because we haven't seen each other in a while. I've been gone almost two weeks. Uh, we had pre-recorded episodes air during the time. Obviously, it was Memorial Day weekend and everybody kind of was doing their thing. But, yeah, we haven't caught up in a good long while. Uh, I was in Italy for the first time in about a year. And I know you guys, Pat, you were in Jessup and Roe, you were all the way up in Vancouver Island visiting your family, right? I was. Nicole and I were in Italy watching your videos with your parents, who obviously I know really well by this point. But let me tell you, that's a sitcom. Your parents on TikTok is a sitcom. It was actually the highest engagement on Instagram that I've ever had. Uh, they like people are demanding that my parents have their own uh, TikTok Instagram accounts. People said, this is our favorite reality show. I'm tuning in every day. 5,000 people a day were watching my Instagram stories. <laughs> you know why? Because I came to the conclusion it's the Malay's version of I Love Lucy. Yes. It's like when little Ricky's born and they moved to Connecticut. <laughs> That's the, We just saw the Malay's version of that. It was I Love Lucy means everybody loves Raymond's meets, uh, I don't even, the Curb Your Enthusiasm sometimes. And like, I, I mean, I think it was just my therapy, my own uh, my own coping mechanism for getting through a trip as a 35 year old divorced woman traveling with her two senior citizen parents. <laughs> um, this was just my way of uh, of just getting through the day. What does your waspy Canadian sister-in-law think of all this? I mean, you saw her. But she's always smiling and happy. She looks really uncomfortable, doesn't she? <laughs> I would be. No, she looks like she's just like 
She looks like a very I don't know, I don't know, but they're not my people. I can't read them well. All the commentary on Jill was someone help Jill. Jill looks scared. <laughs> Can we bring Jill on the podcast? <laughs> Never. She'd be terrified. Why don't we just lie and just get her on the phone and then say, surprise? She might do it if my brother set, tells her to do it. She might do it because she's so in love with my brother that she puts up with us and does anything he actually asks of her. That was one of my great, my favorites was you interviewing your brother and saying, why did, how did this, why did this beautiful, normal woman end up with you? And he, he's sort of sitting there and says, uh, it's not outside the realm of reality, you know, like uh, it, you, you really made me laugh a lot. I was really enjoying watching your parents. When they started talking, you have to understand my brother was fresh out of a, a, a seven year relationship with the Indian anesthesiologist. Oh, wow. Um, and she had dumped him kind of brutally. They they went to high school together. They went all through college, medical school, law school. They made it through a lot. And she dumped him one Christmas Oof. on uh, on his computer because my brother's, you know, an IT guy, you know, he's on his computer. And he tells me, I started talking to this girl that I met on Reddit. Like we both commented on the same thing on Reddit. It wasn't like a dating thing. And I started talking to this girl. She's 23. She's in Vancouver and he showed me a picture and I was like, oh, she's very cute. And he's like, yeah, but she's very shy and she doesn't want a video chat or anything. And I was like, oh, she's a man. <laughs> you you were convinced he was being catfished. I was like, she's a 400 pound man in Canada. Like, that's that's what's happened. Like, you think this is really. But, you know, I was wrong. Weeks went by. They eventually did, you know, a video call. She was who she says she was. And that was Christmas. So by from Christmas to Easter, by Easter, he flew her to New York. We were not allowed to talk to her, meet her, nothing. He put her in a hotel from Easter to June. In June, he moved to Canada. Wow. From June to November. November, they got legally married in Canada. And from November to the following May, they had in that May, they had a wedding. That was the first time we ever met. Wow. She knocked on the door of our hotel room. It was like, hi, I'm your sister-in-law. Happy wedding day. I'm going to do your hair and makeup now. <laughs> That's amazing. That is like the anti-Italian story. It really is when you think about it. For like the most Italian person on social media. In the end, he was right. Like, it was smart. He couldn't have, have us scaring her off. Like, she's very, you know, they're very quiet, normal people. But... I think we went to the most perfect part of Canada. Had we been in Toronto, we wouldn't have had that experience because, you know, Toronto's got more Italians than New York. We were re we were bacala out of water on Vancouver Island. We were the loudest, most ethnic people. <laughs> it's just everything we did was funny. I, I, just them, uh, my parents existing there was funny. My father was in such a good mood. First grandchild, so happy. He was so happy he spent $100 on a saute pan to make pasta with clams. Ah. But it was just like hilarity ensued from the moment we got it. My father lost his phone at the airport. Um, the three fly flights to get, then we get to the Airbnb. We bring a 50-year-old a, a Janina Cafetiera. It doesn't work on the induction cooktop at the uh, Airbnb. No. We buy a burner, from a camping burner from Walmart. To make just to make espresso, my father buys the wrong can of gas for the thing. Three days later, he realizes that the barbecue outside has the burner. We can finally make espresso. Wow! We're the we're the crazy people outside on the deck 
make an espresso on the barbecue. <laughs> what Vancouver Island is not the city, right? It has nothing to do with the city of Vancouver. I mean, it's nearby, but it's not. It's not urban. No, it's a. It's a very. It's a pretty remote island. Uh, lots of trees. Lots of wildlife. Lots of uh, lakes and stuff. We were in a very small little town. You know, everything was closed by eight o'clock, except the liquor store, which, <laughs> which I'm sure helped. That's such a great point you make, Ro, because if you had been in Italian Canada, it'd be like just like being in Brooklyn. Right. But we weren't. But the thing is, is that even in the least Italian part of Canada, we I hadn't seen my brother in four years. Wow. And all of a sudden, you know, there's a there's this new little person in our family. And, you know, they kind of moved into our B&B for the weekend. And we had, you know, a, a Sunday dinner and I made ragu and, you know, everyone's passing this baby around. And it was we made Italian America on Vancouver Island, Canada for a weekend. You know, it's so funny you say that because, you know, you talk about like, your brother's alternative love story to the kind of Italian American norm. And that idea that after four years with the pandemic and the distance and whatnot, here's this baby and you go and you have this amazing weekend just being together, right? No matter what the circumstances are, you make Italian America. It's very well said. So I spent 10 days in Italy uh, with my wife and my daughter and a couple that were friends with my wife's friend, Michelle and her fiance, John and my in-laws. And we spent a good portion of that time in my father-in-law's town in the mountains in Abruzzo. It's a town called Pescaceroli, which I absolutely love. And Nicole and I were both trying to do some work remote. And so there were times when Michelle, her friend, would be taking the baby or my in-laws would have the baby. And I kept thinking back just how happy we were in this little house, in this little mountain town. And everything was about eating and getting food and going to the market. It was not like we were doing major tourism stuff. And I kept thinking back to Pat's point about what we used to learn raising families in community, right? Because you lived amongst your family, probably in most cases in an apartment building where you had different generations of family and your your compadre were on the same block or a few blocks away and multiple generations of family were in the neighborhood. And so you you everybody did things together and the kids were raised collectively and uh, I read an article in The Atlantic a couple of years ago now about how everything changed in America because even though it was our version was the urban ethnic version, other ethnic groups shared it. You also had the old rural American model where people basically lived similarly, but on large plots of farmland or large plots of rural land. And then all of a sudden we built these suburbs and one whole generation of people just left. And everybody that you were now living near was doing the exact same thing as you in terms of the point in their life that they were raising kids, looking for schools. So you're the people you interacted with was not a matter of multiple generations with any kind of kinship. It was just like we we are in, in a common point in our lives. And that was the only real tie together. And I don't know, being in Italy with family and, and friends that are extended family, it made me really long for the idea that you could have an every day where you could pass the kid around and everybody was there to help and everybody played their part. And things just are so much more joyous to me when you live like that. And, and it was a big thing I took away from my trip, this idea that like when you have that kinship group around you all the time, it really does make life better. You know, the best thing you did on that trip 
you posted on Twitter or because you have multiple social media profiles. And I didn't want to bother you because I knew you were on vacation. That article, I don't know who wrote it about people just showing up for coffee. Yeah. That was the greatest thing I have. I bet you if we could post it on our social media, I don't know how you do all that stuff, John, but it so ties into what you said, because when you lived in an ethnic group in a community where everybody on the block was either extremely good friend of yours or an extremely bad enemy or a relative who could be either one. (laughs) um, I remember the last gasps of the just popping in culture. Yeah. Where people like my grandma, my grandfather's sister, lived in one part of Jersey city and my grandmother was an in-law. Right. And she'd go up and like do shopping on our part and just like knock on the door, walk in and have a cup of coffee. Like totally unannounced. Yeah. I didn't even think about the relationship. I I just read that article. I thought it was really good. Um, Somebody talking about how it's almost impossible now with cell phones and the way we interact and how people have kind of changed over really a generation and a half, not that much time. Cause in tenements, you could just go across the hall. Yeah. That's why your house always had to be ready. And if it wasn't ready, people saw it anyway, because people were just walking in and out. And But that's that's agrarian village living in an industrialized world. Like I grew up with like my best friend living four blocks away from me. And it was normal to like run over to each other's house, you know, a couple of times a day. My my Diarosa lived two avenues away. Like everybody we knew lived in the same neighborhood. So it wasn't much different than living in Moladibari. Yeah, I noticed that in my father-in-law's town because, and it's interesting because I, I, the reason I thought we should just have a catch-up, first of all, to catch up, but secondly, because I wanted to talk about Italy and the experience there because it was it sort of blew my mind, but I'll get to that. But I was able to compare and contrast my time in Italian cities and tourist centers with being in my father-in-law's small town. And it's not peak tourism season yet, even though his town Pescaceroli is the seat of the Abruzzo Molise Lazio National Park. So it gets a lot of tourism in the summer and it gets a lot of ski tourism in the winter weekends. It hasn't happened yet. So it was really just whatever locals are there. And he grew up there till he was a teenager. And we had so many people pop in. He lives his his family house, which was his parents' house where he we still go. It's on like a big square in the center of town, not the main square, but right off. And um, so people just popped over like constantly throughout the couple of days we were there. And, you know, they've known him since he was a kid. Who's annoying and who do you like to see and who wants to go out and who's taking you to dinner? And like it was just really nice to hear a doorbell ring again and not know who was going to be on the other side of it. That was such a pleasant experience. It, It felt like I was experiencing something that I didn't realize I'd been missing. Can I tell you one of the points on my bucket list? Mm. I want to go to Pesca Settle with you and your father-in-law. We can bring Nicole too. And I want to meet the aunt who gave her the big silver picture of Jesus and Mary for your wedding. Yeah, it's the Tatina. She lives in the uh, like an hour in, away in Taliocozzo, but we went to see her. We always go to see her. She always, when you describe her to me, she seems like one of the last vestiges of the old Italy. Yeah. Yeah, she definitely, I mean, she's 85. Yeah, yeah. the aunt that gives you the big holy picture to hang over your wedding bed. You know, it's so interesting because, like, they have a, a devotion to the Madonna of Monte Tranquillo, which is nearby, the, the sanctuary for Our Lady. And um, I found it really interesting how many people still talk and think about Our Lady. And, you know, as I'm not saying it's necessarily like a more religious place, but like the, the culture in those little towns is still so tied to religious traditions and the feasts. And it was really nice for me because I was bringing our friends, Michelle and John, that they'd never been to Italy before. 
So I got Michelle to sort of, ne- they had never been to Italy before. No, and they're both Italian Americans, and I got to sort of experience it through their eyes and see how they felt in some of the tourist spots, see how they felt in the big cities, see how they felt in the small town. And I, I John said to me, I, I think the small town is what I was sort of hoping for and dreaming of. Like this is the place I could stay for a long time because it's so authentic and so it not not as impacted by time really you know like the, those the people were telling him oh you got to go to this town during their feast and you got to come here during this feast and it was really nice to see older ways still kind of being preserved you know i would like to go because you know we did michelle's genealogy yeah so i would like to take her on her maiden voyage to san fadlan it definitely confirmed for me that seeing italy in the small towns even if it's not necessarily your own i mean if you could see it in your own it's a huge opportunity but like Seeing Italy in the small towns is an incomparable way to be introduced if you're Italian-American, if you're anybody, but certainly if you're Italian-American. And one of the points that really blew my mind that I wrestled with the whole time was, you know, I think I referenced it one episode a couple weeks ago, read an article that said like Naples before COVID in 2019 had like maybe almost 4 million foreign tourists. Last year it had 11 million. And I've been reading a lot about, you know, they're, they're closing certain streets and we all know like up in Venice, you know, they're tourism tax now, no more boats. And visiting Naples, we we, we, we stayed in Vico Quens in a very Italian hotel. It was all Italian people got off the beaten path. Uh, we spent a little time in Sorrento. We spent a little time in Positano, taking them for like lunches. We spent a day in Napoli and then uh, on to Pescaceroli and on to Rome. Being in those other places, I finally understood the numbers that I've been, like I lived those numbers that I've been reading about it was almost, frankly, unbearable, the amount of people. I, I mean, Pat, you and I go to Naples together all the time. I wanted to take them to Cafe Gambrinus, the famous coffee shop. We had to wait online for a table. This is on like a Monday. Good. That's great. These are great things to hear. Economically, it's great. But, yeah, we had to wait online until well, whatever. Finally got to sit down. And then the waiter basically came out and said, we can't make coffee fast enough, so you're going to have to give us 15 minutes. So we just sat there for 15 minutes. And I'm not to, not to say it's not great economically, but where does the quality of life for the, the average Neapolitan, you know what I mean? Where does that get banged around at the altar of tourism? I, I can't see them crying. I, most people they're like, going to make a buck on it. I They'll be so. selling Zapos out the window. They're going to make a They're going to make it. And I say that in the very best sense of the term. I think their hour has finally come. The hour of their redemption has come. I mean, everybody I met said to me the South is experiencing a tourism boom like it never has. It's every every region, you know, uh, Basilicata, Calabria, even catching up, Molise's catching up, but every region's experiencing a boom. But I mean, I had a taxi driver in Rome. I was in the front of the car talking to him, and he basically said, like, we we can't live like this anymore. There's no, you can't get a hotel room. There, there's, not, there's no hotels. The prices have quadrupled. You can't eat in a restaurant. You can't get a taxi. Getting a taxi in Italy was the most difficult, challenging thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be like I fear that it's getting like Venice to where like the whole country is just a living. But that's a great problem. That's a problem that you manage, but it's a great problem to have. Yeah, but the quality of life really suffers, man. But I just think what other road if we go to the TikTok conversation I had that had me crucified. The conversation that we had was, is Italy going to become a country of basically a Disney world for adults? Right. Yeah. With with the. Uh, the the Italian politician made the quote, are we becoming a country of waiters and innkeepers? But to me, at least, if the if the tour, let me let me just say this, as you know, 
my grandmother's side comes from Piano di Sorrento. And the one benefit that they had was that they've always done well, even when Italy was in its poorest moments. The Sorrento Peninsula always did much better than everybody else because they had trade. You know, they sold oranges and walnuts and, and, and you know, wood products, um, dairy products to other parts of Italy and stuff like that. But they always had a tourist trade. The one thing that has put Sorrento, if you do Sorrento's history and the, and the villages around and that make up the Sorrento Peninsula, because there were artists there from probably the 1700s on, we have a very good idea of what everything looked like at different time periods. Yeah. Because there was some Nordic or Germanic painter who was there painting a scene. So if you take Piazza Tasso or what became Piazza Tasso in Sorrento, we have a very good idea what it looked like from the painters going all the way back. So why I'm going on this, this, this diatribe here is that the fact is that Sorrento's always benefited from tourism. I don't see how those little villages in the south of Italy survive economically unless a white knight comes in on its horse and that white knight is tourism. Now, that's definitely going to change things. Um, but I don't, I mean, how are you going to, in towns in the South of Italy that, you know, they're kind of like the American Rust Belt where the vast majority of the population is over 65, where are they going to be in 30 years from now if there's no jobs for people? No, it's a valid question. I mean, it, it, and it's, you know, I, I, I happened to be reading one morning, I was doing my news uh, on my iPad and I d- happened to read an article that said the Italian industrial sector shrunk. Uh, this last quarter, I think, m- considerably more than they had uh, projected. I don't think they projected that it was going to shrink. And I thought to myself, you know, this is really interesting because from the conversations I had while I was there, a lot of people were telling me that even though tourism is bringing opportunity and money, there's also a whole nother round of young people who are leaving the country, not because of the lack of economic opportunity, although that obviously if the industrial sector is shrinking, that impacts it as well. But some people are making the decision to leave because they feel the quality of life in these places is unbearable with so many tourists. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how uncomfortably packed everything was. Even Sorrento walking through, like just, you know, doing a, a dinner and, and shopping. I mean, I went to that restaurant that I took you to, Pat, um, the place my family's been going since my grandfather. O Barucchiana. Yeah, yeah. That's the Navidad word for pastor. Yeah, exactly. The, the pastor of a parish, Uparukian, which was the nickname of the guy who started the restaurant. Right, he was a priest, right? And He, he was started... in the seminary, and when he dropped oh, right, out of the seminary. seminary and opened the restaurant, they still kept calling him Uparukian. Right, right. And, his, and that's 1840-something, and his... Uh, his I think great... that's the oldest continuing operating restaurant in Sorrento. Oh, definitely. His, his great, great, great nephew is the owner, who I've gotten to know over the years and I went to see him and I, so you've been there with me, it's seven terraces high or whatever it is. I mean, the place can seat probably thousands of people. It's gigantic. It goes forever. It was packed to the gills. I could not get over. And again, this is like a weeknight in late May. Um, I couldn't get over the amount of people walking through the streets, the shoulder to shoulder. It's, it's just, it's everything that I've been reading about come to life and it actually kind of blew my mind i have to say it was it was a positive because it was great to see the economic impact and people discovering the south but they told me you know every region is like this the north is like this and uh, it's very very intense i have to say did you walk around sorrento and say these are the people that birthed pat o'boyle 
of course, I always do. I, 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 I always sing the praises of Sorrento when I'm there. And thank you, thank. You. Because you know what I found out about two years ago was one of my ancestors um, came from Vika Quens in 1790. That's interesting. Yeah, he went from Pian- he went from Vika Quens to Piano di Sorrento in 1790. He was born in 1790, and his parents moved to Pian. Because those villages, if you get to the tippy tip of Piano di Sorrento, where my grandmother's side comes from, they all border all the tippy-tip villages in, in Vika Quenza. Well, let me give a, a clue to our faithful listeners because, like I said, h- hotels are really, really, really expensive. And uh, we looked at places all over the coast because we wanted to take John and Michelle to see places. We looked at places in Napoli. The prices were really cuckoo. Um, but I'm going to give a little tip because I there's a lot of Italian hotels left that are really just Italian people enjoying a holiday. And when you look at them online, I think they don't advertise themselves. Well, maybe they don't want to, but we stood at a hotel. It's the only hotel in the entire coast that actually has a sand beach, a private sand beach. It's not in the elevated part of the city of Equiquens. It's down on this little beach. It's called the Ixide, I think. It was, I forget how it was spelled. It's a weird word. But actually, it ends up that Ralph Vitale, our, our friend, your compadre, uh, he worked there in the 70s when I was telling him about it as we were getting ready to leave. He was like, oh, I used to work there. but And it was really, really nice, really off the beaten path, a great place to headquarter yourself for a trip to the coast and not pay crazy prices right now. So I really enjoyed it. I have to say that was like a real nice, um, it was nice to be amongst Italians, you know. Wow. I'm surprised. No, it's a great place in the peninsula, uh, Sorrento Peninsula. People made fun of me for staying there. The Elizabethine nuns, the Grigie nuns, their old novitiate, they turned into a hotel. Really? Oh, it's phenomenal. Because the dessert, the breakfast is all Italian pastries. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, the breakfast, Um, I have a lot of stories about that place, but it's the most, it's like 19, you go in there, like people are like, why do you go there? It's like 1982. It's it's the part of Italy we always cry about missing. Like yeah. in there, when you're in their refectory, you're waiting for someone to ask you for a jetone to go make a phone call. <laughs> and it's like that. It's like just all it is, is either you get an espresso or a cappuccino. That's it. It comes out in Italian stainless ware, like stain. Everything, you know, you know, when everything was stainless, like the serving tray and the, the milk pot. Yeah. And a nun that's uh, went to school with Moses will come out and bring it out there. <laughs> um, Like 8,000 years old. And they get these phenomenal pastries from Sorrento. Like the Sfoya della Santa Rosa that's filled with pastry cream. The papa that's filled with pastry cream. Yeah. Like your sugar's got to go through the, the the stratosphere. Now, that used to be a cheap place to stay. I think it's, they should charge much more because it's just, like I said, it's an Italian time machine. But there, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, things are definitely changing for the benefit of them economically recently. So maybe even the cheap places aren't cheap anymore. But I've told a lot of people, you can, if you're in the know, you can have a very affordable Italian vacation if you know where to go and you go at the right time of year. I mean, you and I, we went to Bari that time with my brother. We stood in like their top hotel. It was like 80 euro a night. Yeah, in December. Yeah. It was in December. Like that's like a 400 euro a night hotel in August. Yeah. And it was 80. That's why I told a lot of people if 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 um if you're a little tight on finances, Italy in December is fantastic because it's like 50 degrees. Like we walked around with like jackets, like white jackets, like springtime jackets here, like September, October jackets. Yeah. And the great thing about Italy in December is, or if you go in February or March, it's only Italian. So you don't feel like you're being overrun in Disney World. Yeah. 
That was yeah. the that was the great thing about body. I've been thinking since I got back, like all the places that I used to think were our secret places. I mean, Ro, you've been doing trips to Puglia and, and the Amalfi Coast for a decade. You know, they're not secret anymore. People know everything now. You can't hide Instagram ruined it all. In some ways, yeah. Is that what you think it was, Ro? Yes, 150%. When I was 17 years old, I remember walking around Polignana Mare. Not even a dog was in Polignana Mare. Yeah. Like, just, just a few locals. There was nothing there. There was this one place. We would go to this one little tiny place to get good cornettos. Because they would do cornetti with white chocolate and, and whatever. There was a one little hole in the wall cornetto place. And when they were finished with cornetti, they closed. That's it. That was all that was there. And now you can't you can't walk around there. It's it's the it's the Positano Puglia. Yeah, it really is. And you know, it's like you meant you reference. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that you reference Positano because that was the low point for me, even though everybody enjoyed it. We went to a restaurant that Nicole wanted to try. The food was great. I'm I'm not a huge Positano guy because you know, you, you see Positano once, you kind of have seen it, it doesn't really do much. But I've always held in the back of my head that Positano was the perfect example of kind of tourism over the top because I remember a local telling me, you know, this was a small fishing village. It was beautiful because it's naturally a beautiful place. And, you know, how could it not be beautiful? But in the peak of tourism season, many of the smaller uh, facilities, hotels, obviously individual homes, they have major problems with their plumbing because the plumbing is not built for the amount of people that's in this little tiny town. It's like a you know year-round tourist destination now. And that always stuck out in my mind. Like a town that's plumbing can't handle tourism. And, you know, Polignano sounds like a similar thing, like these sleepy little towns that just become completely invaded. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a real balancing act to see this stuff. But I, I do say to everybody that I... That I talked to, like if you, if you're concerned about finance and you want to go to Italy, look at the off season, and certainly look at the three star hotels in Italy because people always want to go to these like high end luxury things. But there, I believe it's still the case. It was the case a while back. The way that the Italian star system works with hotels, the government gives certain contracts to three star hotels, so a lot of hotels will sort of select to stay three star. And there's some really great places that you could find that you might not look at from the photos online and think that they're really spectacular, but they are. And they're really cozy and, yeah, they're really wonderful. I will say that especially if you're staying in Puglia, try and look at like a masseria or even a B&B because what's happening even in my village of Maladibadi with, you know, it's a very small town. Like the B and the, every year there's more and more and more and more B and B's and some, and even though they're small, it's not going to have like that resort feel, but they're very clean. They're very nice. They're very like crafty with the decorating. Now they make them all like cute and nautical. And you know, like the breakfast is, is like sometimes these like homemade cakes that the people make themselves or whatever. So it's a little bit smaller, but you're going to get a much better deal. And I mean, you're in Italy. You're going to stay in the room. Go out. Yeah, that's it. I've come to that conclusion. Like I, I'm inspired by this trip to start looking for new places. Like I, you know, I was thinking about the Borghi Pubelli d'Italia, like what you know, the most beautiful little towns in Italy project. And I said to myself, you know, I'm going to dedicate my time 
and my efforts going forward to finding the little kind of off the beaten path places to go because a I'll enjoy it more, but B, you know, we, we've got this audience and, and I want to share valuable stuff with them. And I want to encourage people to keep spreading out in their tourism because, you know, you think about the towns on the Amalfi coast where you really can't walk. I mean, I, we could not walk, especially with a baby in a carriage through Positano. It's not accessible. I don't get why. Like, it's very uncomfortable. It's gorgeous, but it's all stairs. Yeah. Certain places like this that are so famous. I'm like, at least Puglia is flat. Yeah, I mean, but that's my point. Like, I, I kind of want to be able to offer alternatives that I've experienced, you know, and I want to experience the alternatives because people are looking for a photo. I mean, I, I can't tell you. We, Nicole and I used to get up early when we traveled to go take pictures like at six o'clock. We'd like wake ourselves up. It was dark. We'd shower. We'd jump out. We'd go. We'd take pictures everywhere. We had a, it was a great kind of thing for us and then like by the time eight o'clock rolled around we'd have a little cornetto and coffee somewhere come back to hotel rest and regroup whatever and it was a great tradition and we tried to share it with john and michelle and ask them kind of what they wanted to see in rome they said oh we'd like to see the trevi fountain you know amongst other things so we went to the trevi fountain at like seven o'clock in the morning maybe seven thirty, and it was jam-packed and i and it blew my mind because it's never been like that before ever. And I've done that many, many a time. So I want to be able to share with people ways to access Italy because I felt like for the first time I'm approaching 40, but I really felt like it was the first time that I recognized the, the Italy of my youth was really disappeared. And it, I, it, it stuck with me. Really, I, I feel like I, I, I've seen something other people won't have the opportunity to see. And what's so my, the one thing that triggered that, John, that really stuck out in your head? Uh, if there was one thing that made you think that, what would it have been? That's a great question. And I actually, in my mind, I, I, I'm trying to recall the moment that it really punched me in the head. Um, I think it was dinner one night in Rome because Rome was just gaga crazy jam-packed. I mean, uh, unbelievably different. And I, you know, I've been to Rome at high season. Um, it's one thing when the Colosseum's packed. It's another thing when everything is packed. Uh, I think it was trying to go to dinner in Rome one night and thinking about some of the restaurants that I used to go to that were clearly like off the tourism track, you know, and they look uninviting maybe outside, but the food was always great. And like tried and true places that were really local places and all of them were packed. I, I, I saw lines waiting to get into restaurants in Rome. I've never seen that before in my life. Like, like really long you think there was like a premiere of a movie or a new product was coming out. And it made me say, wow, I really got growing up. I got to experience the real Italy and that local flavor. It's a, it's, it's definitely threatened right now in the big cities, at least I think that's my take not to sound the alarm. I hope people still go there. It's great for the economy and there's nothing like Italy. I, you know, it, bad Italy is even better than good anywhere else. But um, yeah, I felt at capacity and, and changed for me. I would love to have Michelle and John on the podcast to ask them what it was like to have their first trip to Italy. Yeah, it'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting. Because there's so many of our listeners who haven't had the opportunity. I would love to see what they thought was the highlights of their trip because they had the best tour guide in the world with you. Thank you for that. It made me think about both of you guys. And, you know, Ro, it's been pre-COVID since you've done your tours. And I know how much work that is, but like, it really has also convinced me that I have to have the discipline. We as a team should, we should really start to do tours 
even if it's one a year. You eat the first one. Yeah, no, I, I will. I know. That would be incredible. It would, right? I mean, I think we have a lot to share with people. I, I, I know it's stressful, but I think you enjoyed giving people insight into a place you love, right? I, I did. I, I, I loved a lot about the tours. I mean, it was just, you know, magical, especially when it was people there for their first time. You know, Italy changes you. I literally, I, I, I literally had a lady who had a horrible thyroid issue. She had gained so much weight. She came with a cane, you know, with her sister. And like, she could barely walk up the driveway to our villa in Sorrento. And by the end of the week, it was like no cane. She was like sprinting, you know, and like she had been eating. It's just the air that can really galvanize you. New experiences, all the new tastes, all the explaining everything to everything. There was nothing I didn't really enjoy about doing the tours. It was just, it's so exhausting when you're one person. Yeah. It's hard when like you're the person everybody wants to talk to. Yeah. I'm not doing it. No. Because people are going to be annoying. <laughs> you talk to my everybody. My mattress is soft. Yeah, but I don't want to be annoyed. My mattress is soft. My mattress is hard. I'm gluten-free, but you came, you're gluten-free going to Italy. Like, we got to plan this. You can't <laughs> tell me when the plane gets here. I'm very sympathetic to people with food issues. I have the food allergy. But when the plane lands in Rome and you go into a restaurant, you can't tell me then you're gluten-free. That's fair. Right, or I'm a vegetarian. That, that takes special planning or, you know, um, there's a draft in my window where there's a coyote outside or I hear barking. Uh, you got to do this. That's your department. If we're doing this, I'm going to say, go talk to John. You can't let those people on the tour. You have to ask vetting questions. Like one year I had a lady that was like, oh, I want to come, but I'm allergic to olive oil. No, you have to stay home. Yeah, you can't be in Italy. Learns. That's impossible. I hate to say it. You can't take olive oil. And we're very sympathetic to food yeah. allergies. Somebody yeah. come, nobody's more sympathetic to me. But I, I go into an Italian bakery. I don't eat stuff because I know it's a war. So it's a, it's a minefield. One year, I did have a la- a couple of ladies that ate everything, but then complained that uh, we served too many carbs on our culinary tour. <laughs> you know, speaking of allergies. I was really shocked. I even said, because, you know, my nephew's got terrible food allergies. I sent it to my brother and my sister-in-law. I noticed, and maybe it's a new law. I have to look into it. Every menu in Italy that I encountered now has allergen information on the front page. So it tells you what to avoid if you're allergic to that. It was really, really thorough. I was actually impressed because I remember we did an episode years ago on disabilities issues in Italy with the girl in the pink wheelchair. It was a great episode. Um, so I was Fascinated to see the Italians sort of taking into consideration something like that, which is, you know, not not enjoyed uh, here for people who have such food allergies. But, yeah, it was really. Let me tell you something. The best treatment I ever got in the world with food allergies is in Italy. Really? I had a woman in Rome because I had the pine nut allergy. She said that was one of the great old Italy moments. I don't think I'll ever see again. I was there in 2001. She goes, do not worry. You know, when the Italian cooks and the people who ran restaurants used to wear like those white lab coats and the hats and everything like they were going to do surgery. <laughs> you don't see them that much. If, if you were in Italy in the, in the years before, I caught in the Liera Italy. In those Italy's, Italy of the 80s and 90s, um, she comes out. She's she probably in her late 50s at the time. She was like the, the, the matron, the matriarch of the kitchen. She goes, Signora, I heard you have this very serious food allergy. So I want to assure you we're going to do everything in our power to protect you. So she goes, come with me. I'm not making this up. She goes, come with me. She brings me into their huge kitchen 
of their hotel. And she announces to everyone, she goes, this gentleman, the word she used in Italian was delegata, which my grandmother would have used for me. This man is delicate. In Italian, it, 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 I don't know, it doesn't translate the same. It's like, um, how would you translate it, Ro? Delicata. It's at risk. At risk. A delicate, uh, uh, I don't know how to put it. Like, yes, he's a delicate, he's a delicate guest. And we have to avoid the nuts at all costs. So she takes, she goes, all of your, all of your plates and cups will be sterilized. She had a cauldron. I am not making this up. Cauldron. She must have had a 50 gallon cauldron of boiling water. And she takes like those thongs, those clippers that, you know, like, uh, I don't know what you would tongs. call them. Thongs, tongs, tongs, tongs. She takes them. She takes all my cutlery, my plates, and she puts them in there and boils them. <laughs> And she takes them out. And she goes to one of the waitresses, says, you! And that Italian commanding way, you bring it out to his table. And she put it out there and she goes, Signora, everything today will be taken into your consideration to make sure that you have no allergic reactions. That's the Italy I love. Yeah, that's that's figura. That's, that, that's, a, that's pride in what you do. Summer is for movies on Mediaset Italia. Every Sunday, pop some popcorn and enjoy Italian cinema on Mediaset Italia at 8.35 p.m. Eastern, 5.35 p.m. Pacific. June movie highlights include La Sconosciuta on June 11, Il Grande Salto on June 18, and Provincia Meccanica on June 25th. So go to the movies with Mediaset Italia this summer. Call your local television provider and ask for the channel today. Can you hear it echoing with me recording today? No. Because I'm surrounded by metal ball jars that I'm no. making homemade liquor in. No, you're good. You're, you're safe. There's like a reflecting. <laughs> no, you're safe. No, I, Nicole Muccio, I this is our new thing we're going to start with the podcast. I was out with people last night, some of whom are podcast listeners, and Danielle Ferrante mentioned that I have all these people that say they listen, and I never know if they really do. So I mentioned her name in a podcast. That's my little test. Now, you've been speaking of being out with listeners. You were with some of our friends who've been on the show and talk about living an Italian life. And you were with the one and only associate producer who has not jumped on the mic in a very long time. But you were out in Stephanie's part of the woods uh, on Memorial Day, weren't you? Jessup, Pennsylvania and the running of the charity was one of the most impressive things I have ever seen in my 48 years upon this earth. I'm so jealous. It has John. It was beyond words. And I'm going to tell you. I pray that Jessup on Memorial Day for the running of the charity becomes overwhelmed with tourists the way what you saw in Italy. And I'm going to tell you what the takeaway. I have seen so many feasts and processions traveling around with Paul Pacelli when he was working on the documentary. I have seen so much around the country. And no, there's one category where so far I've seen no one. I heard Rosetto's the same way, but no one match. And that is the entire town of Jessup was involved. There were kids who were visibly from other nationalities and ethnicities that were totally involved with that procession and the running of the charity. And to me, I mean, some of the kids could have been adoptees, kids who were adopted by Italian parents or Italian-American parents, but I don't think they were. I think that the Italian community in Jessup, Dominican kids, African-American kids, Asian kids, they all were participating. And to me, that is because it's the first time I ever experienced Something like that, where you felt this is not the Italian community's event. That was Jessup's event. I think, I mean, I, I obviously I was away with my family in Italy. I have nothing to be uh, ungrateful for. But seeing photos of you and all of our friends, because all of our friends are feast fanatics and 
we have a, a guy's text chain that we're on and you know we go back and forth to these things and I, I I was jealous. I was very, very jealous. I, I really, really hope you're going back next year and uh you want are gonna do it again. John Jessup is the Pamplona of America. Wow. Yeah. And the running of those charity was the running of the bulls. I'm dying to see it. Dying to see it. It looked amazing in photos. So, Stephanie, you have not jumped on the mic in a very long time. You're always on the other end listening to these recordings. But what was it like for you having all of the, we call them the Wall Yo guys, our little men's group. What was it like having all the Wall Yo guys in your neck of the woods and getting to share something I know you're passionate about? Well, I felt like saying a giant I told you so to everyone because whenever you hear about Northeastern Pennsylvania, it's always like, Okay, yeah, they have an Italian community there. It's great. But Ray Guarini was, he actually came out um, with Alexis Cara Tracy on Friday. So we did an entire tour of Lackawanna County from Carbondale to Old Forge and every place in between. And they said that it was the best Italian enclaves visit they ever had because they didn't realize there was so much Italian culture right here in NEPA. And I just feel like saying to everybody, yep, told you so. It's just, that's how we are out here. Ray had a conversation with me asking, what do you think houses go for around here? Oh, wow. Yeah, because well, you felt, true, because they're cheap. I just thought, Jessup, um, you got to see it, John, because the, everybody was involved, the whole town. Yeah. You could see the whole town and people from here and there. And it was a lot like um, we went to eat and to get breakfast. And the was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So people complaining, oh, all the people in town. Like, it really was the whole town was involved. Like, everybody had something to say. It wasn't like, oh, that's the Italian thing that's going on down there. I was so, so, but, and it, everybody was young. And these guys, what happens is they have the running of three towers, one in honor of Santo Baldo, Chedi, right? But I mean, Stephanie, well, who's going to know what a Chedi is? It's yes, a big, but, it's like a but, big but, wooden, but, 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 I'm on this I know, call buy your right book, now. And I know. If you don't- if you don't get this correct, I'm going to get the calls from everybody. And Jessup, like, what did you tell them? You didn't tell them the right stuff. So they're called the charity. The giant towers are called the charity that they run with. And what happens is that one's in honor of San Giorgio, one's in honor of Santo Baldo, and one's in honor of Santo Antonio Abate. And um, you dress in the T-shirt of your particular saint, but those saints were the neighborhood's in Gubbio, where this tradition began. And it's probably, you know, we always go on about how these are Southern Italian traditions of procession. Gubbio is technically really, and I always fight, is there really a central Italy? Gubbio is in Umbria, which was a papal state, yeah, which is in no way the south of Italy. And these families, I was trying to figure it out. So if your family lived in San Giorgio, which was the neighborhood where San Giorgio's church was in Gubbio, when you went to Jessup, you were on the San Giorgio team. That's usually how it went. But a lot of that also, it's kind of ended up with the neighborhoods in Jessup or who knows who. So a lot of my friends are actually members of the family of St. George. So they're all part of that group. And it's just because they've had relatives or they've had friends that are part of that family. Um, Some close friends of mine are family of St. Anthony, same deal, family of St. Ubaldo. They've asked me to join the families. And I always declare myself as Switzerland because I can't pick between them because I have friends on all all the families out there. They're just really great. And to your point, Pat, it is Jessup's celebration. You can't call it anything but that because even when you talk about it throughout Lackawanna County, they're advising people, come to Jessup, see what it's like there. And the fire department gets involved, non-Italians get involved. It is the biggest event of the season for Jessup. And I always say, 
if I didn't live in Dunmore, I would live in Jessup because it's just a fantastic town. It reminds me of the palios of Siena, as the, the, the neighborhoods of Siena when they do the palio, right? Every every church within the city walls has a flag and a banner and colors, and that race is all based on kind of your neighborhood, and I, I love that. And that's something, like I said, it's something on my high on my bucket list. We went and filmed for Greetings from Italian America there, but obviously it was in the winter and we weren't able to see the running of the charity. So I don't know, Ro, I, I'm going to go next year uh, if I can make it. Hopefully we can all go back together. Uh, I would love it uh, if we could do it, all of us. I'm, I'm there. I'll go wherever, I go wherever you tell me to go. That's true. You're great. Why do you even ask me? You just call me up. You say, Ro, we're going here next week. I go. <laughs> That's true. You are. Why don't you guys come out earlier and I will give you the full tour like I gave to Ray Guarini because I took him on to places and to see things that you didn't even get to see when you came. And I think that you'll be really surprised by a lot of it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You took it. You, you did even better than you did for us. I don't even know how to feel about that. <laughs> but don't forget for you, it was filming. Uh, and yeah, I yeah, we had yeah. to get certain things She's for them. It was answer. just, let's check some things out. So, Hey, that's, <laughs> that's, that's okay. I get it. I, get uh, it. I will take you. Trust me. I've always said, get out here and I will take you places. Come even to Luzerne County because, have a huge untapped group of Italian things too. The Pits and Tomato Festival is coming. Come and check that out. Pits you and know? Tomato Festival. Yeah, that's the they're known for their tomatoes because the anthracite coal in the soil gives you a great tomato. That's the tomato sauce that's used on Old Forge Pizza. It's all relative out here. Everybody knows everybody else. We're all connected. Maybe we should look at home prices. Maybe this is where <laughs> we, we build the, the compound, the bunker, where we bring the like the you know the the 40 years in the desert and lead us to northeastern Pennsylvania as our uh, Italian bunker. That might be the place. So who knows? Well, we do have cheap home prices. Oh, I got a big question. Is that really true about the coal and the dirt? Or is that like a, a fantasy of there? Makes sense. No, it's the truth. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like the, the, the soil from Vesuvius. Yeah. Yeah, I never heard this before. I'm very. We only get our tomatoes in Pittston. Like when they have the Pittston Tomato Festival, we go to Pittston to get our tomatoes to make our sauce because they're just that good. This is interesting. You never even told us about this. I haven't. No, never heard. Oh, now of I'm Pittston shocked. Tomato. I'm yeah. sorry. What a letdown! I'm, now I want a Pittston tomato. Now I'm gonna try this tomato festival. Here we come. She don't want it to get too popular because then everybody's gonna go. <laughs> That's true. Keeps the tomatoes <laughs> for herself. I see no, well. no, I would never do that to you. Plus, you know me with Northeast PA. If there's ever a chance to publicize our area, I'm the first one to do it. So, Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know that, Pat? Uh, You've known me how shot. many years? He's done. <laughs> Big shot. To your credit, Stephanie, you're never, ha- you're never, what's the word I'm looking for? Hawking her book? Hawking her book? No, she what's never is. Never what's selling. the word, no. You never, I'm saying that there, for those of you who don't know, Stephanie did a book on the Italians in Northeastern Pennsylvania. And if you want to learn more about the Chatty and, and Jessup and all these wonderful things like Pittston Tomatoes, you should go and get her book. I have a copy. You should have one, too. Aw, thanks, Pat. It is a great book. So Father's Day is coming up. Mother's Day was last month. If you didn't give your mother something, you feel bad. Get a book. Um, Yes, go out and buy Stephanie's book. Yeah, it's well, really, really well-researched and well-written and... uh She's the best, even though you don't hear her often. I know she hesitates to jump on, but uh, I had to get you on because I saw those pictures and I was super jealous. I, I was in Italy. I couldn't have been anywhere less likely to make me jealous, but I was jealous of everybody in Jessup. I really was. It looked absolutely amazing. I'm looking forward to to trying to get there next year for sure. We have an open invitation. 
And excuse me, it's Dr. Stephanie now. Yes, it's Dr. <laughs> Stephanie. Oh, yes, yep. that's right. We never probably Sorry. congratulate you, Dr. St- Dr. Stephanie in the ER. Yeah. <laughs> that oh, was yeah. that was her surgery room, <laughs> Jessup. Yeah, Def- Stephanie, tell the audience you're now a doctor, right? Oh, well, it, not that kind of doctor. So I'm actually finishing my dissertation for my doctorate in strategic communication, and I'm working on place branding and heritage tourism. So this conversation was right up my alley um, with that. We're trying to come up with ways to figure out what attracts and engages heritage tourists in different locations um, throughout the world. And I've got to get that done before I get married. (laughs) A lot going on, Steph. What are the letters at the end of your name now? So I can update you in the phone. What's at the end of my name? It's Stephanie Longo, DSC, Doctor of Strategic Communication. Now, is the S and C both capitalized? Yes, they are. That's good. Yeah. So from now on, when we call you on the other side of the mic, it's not going to be Steph. It's going to be Dr. Steph. We're going to have to make you get no, that right. Oh, no, because you know what? I'm one of those people. I'm like, no, you don't have to use the title when the title's official. It's fine. It's just it's I did that for me. I always wanted my doctorate. I love the field of strategic communication. I think it's interesting. I, I want to have a little bit more fun with it and be more down to earth because this stuff sounds really out there. <laughs> And I like to bring it in. My research really focuses on Italian-Americans and their use on social of social media, how they portray the ethnicity on social media, um, what the different generations are doing with social media and ethnicity. That's um, my two papers that have done really well. So a lot of really cool stuff coming down the pike with that. But, but your your dormant non-Italian side is the one that says, I don't want the title that I earned for sure. That's, <laughs> That, so there's take take that back and analyze that because any Italian worth their salt is going to use every title that they can get their hands on. So you're going to be Dr. Steph from here on out when we call you in. And if I don't get it right, if I don't remember, you better correct us because well earned. I'll do uh, it. Everybody here is you. proud of you. You paddle oh, correct thank me. That's you. True. Yeah, Pat loves titles. <laughs> yes, he does. Pat yes. collects some like baseball cards. What is your official? What 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 do I write on the beginning of your cards now? As I a, have so many, John. Yeah. You got a I'm lot. I'm the only one who doesn't have a title. We got to work on this. This is an issue. But, like I, I'm the only one. It's like I'm the most uh, shamoni. The the whole uh, the whole. No, you should be you should be Duchess of Mola. Did they have a baronial <laughs> family in Mola? Yes, they had a baron and a baroness. How much do you think that goes for now? They're probably in Rome and couldn't care less. Oh, and they broke the Noya family. Can we go reach out to them? <laughs> I mean, we can't let them know it's for you because then they're gonna up the price. Yeah, they you don't gotta... know who I am. They don't. The, the Malays in in uh, in Maladibadi, like have no idea who I am. All right, this is good. Duchess of Mola, we're gonna work on this one. That'll be the next Duchess project. Mola. <laughs> John went to dinner with Duchess Mola. Maybe <laughs> a baroness. I mean, something that not everybody is. Oh, every every Italian community, just like New York, needs a baronessa. That's true. We can work on the baronessa that. passed away. We haven't yeah, had a replacement, Baronesa. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on Baronesa di Mola. That's the next project. Well, we are really proud of you, Steph. This is uh, this is a great news to share with the audience. And, and it's great for us to just catch up together and catch up in front of our audience because we, we think you guys, uh, as part of our friend network at this point, after all these years of talking to you every week, and I love these kind of episodes where we just catch up with each other, and I hope you guys enjoy them too. From all of us at the Italian American Podcast, Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See that you're born in Italiano, and your life will be great. 
see that you're born an Italiano and your life. 